created us and made us to live in connection with each other. We call it community. What you just saw was community happening. One person connecting with another person, connecting with another person, sharing with them the love and truth of Jesus. And that's how it happens. That's what God does. That's how He does it. Notice how the connections were made. Simple, basic relationships, friendships. And notice how different the people were. Different age groups connecting with each other. Different ethnicities connecting with each other. Different life stories and life's journeys connecting with each other. You see, God has the power to take anyone who is willing to connect with somebody else and use that to His glory. So many times we make these, get these ideas in our head, well, if that person's different from me, they're a different ethnicity, they're a, a different age group, they're coming from a different place in life, so I can't connect with them. But if we will just reach out in the name of Jesus and in the love of Jesus and say, I want to connect with that person, I want to share Jesus with them, I want to do community in the name of the Lord Jesus together, then that can happen. And that is exactly what the Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. How we need to be in community together. We were not made or created to go through this life alone. And while it may be very challenging and at times scary to reach out and connect with each other, this community is what God has designed for us to live in. Several weeks ago, I talked about what it meant for us to be planted in Christ. And I took this plant... And we talked about how sin uproots us and how the Spirit of God works in our lives to plant us in the Lord. And I planted this plant here to demonstrate what He is doing and how He's doing it. Well, I've got several other plants up here this morning. And the reason I've done that is because when the Lord plants us, He doesn't just plant us alone. He plants us in a group And so this idea of being community is that we are planted together. And I want us to see that this morning from Ephesians. The book of Ephesians chapter 2. The book of Ephesians chapter 2. Where we see how God has planted us or put us together. As you turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Allow me to share with you the basic outline of this book. Leading up to the passage that we're going to look at. Ephesians chapter 2. First of all, the authorship and designation of the book is in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Then God's eternal purpose of salvation through Jesus Christ is given to us in chapter 1, verse 15, through chapters 3 and verse 21. And then in chapter 2, where we're going to be today, we see here how Paul teaches that the Gentiles, that is, all those who are not Jews, have been saved from spiritual death. And how Jews and Gentiles are now equals in God's household. And that's going to be the context of the passage that we're going to look at today. Now, in that day and age, you had the Jewish race. You had everybody else who referred to as Gentiles. They lived in two different worlds. They were very much separated from one another. And in that context, Paul is writing here, and he is saying that God is doing something new. He is building community, but he is building community by bringing all of us together. And this separation of Jew and Gentile is no longer. They were equals in God's household, which would have been a radical concept for that day. Now, my sermon outline is contained as an insert in your bulletin. I encourage you to follow along. In this passage, Paul is going to compare... 
the community that God is creating to three things. Number one, the kingdom. Number two, a household. And number three, a building. A kingdom, a household, and a building. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." We need the community that God is trying to call us into and build us into and bring us into. And first of all, it is the community of kingdom. In the third, excuse me, in the first century, Christians were described by a pagan as a third race. He looked at the Christian church and he saw Jews in culture, he saw Gentiles, and then he saw this new group that was rising in the Roman Empire. And it was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. It was something like no one had ever seen before. And he says, there's a third race out there. They're called Christians. And that is the idea here. Now, Jews were, were described in those days as being near at hand. In other words, they knew the promises of God. They knew the Word of God. They were considered near at hand. Gentiles were considered far off. That is, they didn't know the promises of God. They didn't know anything much about God. And they were just sort of running all over the place, doing their own thing. And they were away from God. But notice what he says here in verse 19. He says, you are no longer strangers. Now, the word stranger there was a word that was used to describe people on that day that lived in a nation, but they did not have the rights of citizens in that nation. They lived in a particular nation, but they did not have rights in that nation. If you lived in the Roman Empire in those days and you were described as a stranger, it simply meant that you lived in the Roman Empire, but you did not have the rights of a citizen in that empire. Paul is saying, particularly here to the Gentiles, listen, you're in the kingdom of God now, and because you're in the kingdom of God, the family of God, the community that God is creating, you are no longer a stranger. You have the full rights of being a citizen. I don't have time to go into all of that, but you have the rights of being His child. You have the rights of the fullness of the Spirit. You have the rights of being connected to Him. You have the rights of knowing that the day comes that you die, you will go to heaven. Those are some of the rights that you have. Our founding fathers, when this nation was formed, sat down a few years after the country came into being, and they penned what was called the Bill of Rights, which outlined the rights that every American citizen has. The Word of God, particularly contained and expressed in the New Testament, is our Bill of Rights. It's what God says that we have as rights before him. You're no longer strangers. Then he says, you are no longer aliens. Now, an alien in those days was someone who dwelled nearby but was not inside the house. In other words, they were resident foreigners. They were sort on the outside looking in. They were there, but they didn't have a right to be a part of it. And he says, you're not aliens anymore. God has said that he can come on in. You can be part of the family of God. You can be part of what he is doing. 
Don't stand on the outside and look in. Come on in and be part of what God is doing. Verse 13 of this chapter says that we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The reason Jesus brought us near is so that we could come in. Jesus died on the cross so that we would no longer have to stand on the outside and look into the things of God and into the family of God and say, man, I really would like to be a part of that. Jesus died on the cross to bring us into God's family and into God's community. The reason that we come into God's community and we have a right to be in God's community is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. I can't stress that enough because so often what we do is we choose and pick if we're not careful who we're going to relate to in the family of God because they're like me or they talk like me or dress like me or act like me or they come from where I come from or I enjoy being around them or I don't enjoy enjoy being around them, etc. That's not the issue. I look at them and I say, Come on in. I'm connected to you. You're connected to me because of what Jesus did for both of us on the cross. And I can connect because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. Verse 19, it refers to them as fellow citizens. Now, that's a fascinating word there because the idea that it carries with it is that we are under a new authority. If you were a citizen in those days of whatever nation you were in, you were under the authority of of that nation. In particular, in those days, it was the Roman Empire. You're under the authority of the Roman emperor. That means that, first of all, you are no longer under the authority of what you used to be. You're under a new authority. When he says here that we are fellow citizens, it is the idea to begin with that we are not under the authority of the kingdom of darkness that we used to be under. We have shed that authority. Now, one of the devices and lies that Satan will always try to keep us under is that we are under authority that we are no longer under. Because if he can get us to buy into that lie, then we begin to live in the bondage of an authority that we used to live in bondage to. And that's how he drains so much joy from our lives. Because we live like we're in bondage. Remember, Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Well, what is the truth that sets us free? It is the truth that we don't live under the bondage that we used to live under. I don't have to live under that bondage. I'm going to choose not to live under that bondage because I'm a citizen in his community. He says, you are fellow citizens with the saints. Now, first of all, the word saints means holy ones. The concept of God's holiness simply means this. We have been separated from sin, guilt, and shame, and we have been separated unto the Lord. Separated from the negative, separated unto Him. I don't belong to that mess anymore. I belong to Jesus. But he says we're fellow citizens with the saints. Now, who are the saints? When Paul wrote this, church was just getting started. First century. Most of the Christians hadn't died. First century Christians, first Christians hadn't died. So he's not referring to them. He's referring to the saints of the Old Testament. You are fellow citizens with Abraham, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, David, Daniel, Ezekiel. Just take on the roll call through the Old Testament. You're fellow citizens with them. Now let that sink in. 
We tend to read through the Old Testament and we see these great prophets and these great men and women of God and we say, great, man, they were really used of God and God had His hand upon them. But we see ourselves so separated from them. Paul says, you're fellow citizens with them. You're in the same role with them. You're in the same household with them. You're in the same community. And we tend to say, well, I haven't done the kind of things that Moses did and Ezekiel did. I haven't heard of the kind of prophecy that Isaiah did. That's not the issue. Jesus has brought us in. Jesus has made us fellow citizens. You see, one of the reasons Paul was writing this to the church at Ephesus and telling them this is he was trying to say, live up to your citizenship. You're living down from your citizenship. He's saying you need to learn to live up to your citizenship. And where we tend to struggle so often is we live below where God has placed us and what God has called us to and what God has placed us in. Now that is the community of the kingdom. Notice where he goes next. He says, you're members of the household of God. That's community of family. One of Paul's favorite expressions was one another. It's how he expressed what it means to be in the family together. Allow me to work you through some of the things that he said about that. He, this one anotherness. I just made up a word. But this one anotherness of being one another with each other. What does that mean to be members of his family? Number one, we are members of one another. We're in the same family together. Number two, we are to build up one another. Responsibility. We are to love one another. We are to care for one another. We are to pursue one another's good. In other words, I look at you, I try to get in touch with what God's doing in your life and help you achieve what God's accomplishing in your life. We bear one another's burdens. We are compassionate and forgiving to one another. We are to submit to one another. Oh, that's not much fun. We want people to submit to us. We don't want to submit to another person. Submit to one another. We're to have a high regard for one another. We're to be devoted to one another. And we're to live in harmony together with one another. And together, we have access to the Father God. Together. Together, we have access to the Father God. Together, we come into His presence. Together, we experience Him. And I want to pause at this point because when you read through the Scriptures, what you will see is that there was a unique work that God did that He only did when the body of Christ is together. In the book of Acts, every outpouring and infilling of the Holy Spirit takes place together. When the body of Christ comes together, when the Spirit of God is first poured out, what did Jesus tell the disciples to do? He didn't say, go back to Jerusalem, everybody go to your own home, shut your door and sit in your own room by yourself and pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He said, I want you, plural, to go to the upper room and together, you are to wait together and seek together the power and outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to pour out my Spirit. And when the day of Pentecost came, the Spirit of God did not go through the Jerusalem and go to this household and that household and that household and to this individual. The Spirit of God was poured out in that room together. And that opens up a pattern you see through the rest of the book of Acts. And see, I think one of the reasons that Satan works so hard to separate us from each other is because he knows that when we come together, 
then we experience the fullness of God's Holy Spirit and what He wants to do in us and through us. And that there is a work that God does when we are together in community that He does not do and cannot do when we're separated from each other. And that's the reason I believe He works against it so much. Now, let's look at how He puts us together as a great building. Now, one of my preschoolers helped me with this illustration that you're going to look at. And I want you to look at this Lego Okay, because it demonstrates perfectly what Paul talks about. The first thing is that it's got a foundation. Everything is dependent on the foundation. If your foundation isn't strong, the rest of the building is going to fall out of whack. And everything cues into the foundation and the cornerstone, which is part of the foundation. And then everything else, block by block, is fitted together perfectly so that it all comes together. Block upon block. But the blocks have to be put and faced together. Now, in order for that building to come together, you got to have a master builder. And the master builder has got to know what he's doing because what is constructed begins not in the mind of the blocks. What comes together is in the mind of the architect or the master builder. And you see, what Paul's going to talk about in just a moment, we're going to see is he talks about what our foundation is. He talks about who the cornerstone is. He talks about how we have been fit together and how we are being fit together. And that our master builder, our architect, is the Lord who's putting us together. Now let's look at that in verses 20 and 21. The first thing he says is that our foundation is the apostles and the prophets. What is the foundation that holds us together as the church and the community? It is the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Let's name some of those apostles. John, Peter, Paul, Matthew, and Luke, to name a few of them that we see in the New Testament. Those are the apostles. Now, what makes that foundation of the apostles so strong, so important? Because these early apostles that Jesus chose. Jesus did several things with them to prepare them and to equip them to lay the foundation. He taught them for three and a half years. He taught them by word and he taught them by example. He empowered them. He poured the Holy Spirit of God into them on the day of Pentecost. So they were not just empowered with knowledge. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then what did they begin to do? They begin to teach and they begin to write. And so they provided what we have today as the New Testament. He's saying it is on that foundation that we are built. That is the, where our foundation has solidness to it. The reason that when the winds blow against it, the building won't fall down is because we are built on that. And then he goes on and he says it's the foundation of the apostles and it's the foundation of the prophets. Prophets here probably has two ideas to it. First of all, the prophets of the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Obadiah, Micah, Malachi, etc. Those Old Testament prophets, they were used of God to bring a message from God. And the phrase that they used over and over again was, Thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. How do I know that we've got a firm foundation? Because it is based on the apostles' teaching, the personhood of the apostles, the empowerment of the apostles, and it is based upon the prophets that God raised up. 
That is the foundation. The foundation for who we are, for how we come together, for what we believe is not the foundation of our emotions. I just happen to feel good about it today. It is not the foundation of what's going on around me or what happens to be happening in the church at any given time. It's the foundation of the apostles and the prophets that God raised up. Now, how do we get in touch with that foundation? Real simple. We just read and study and take to heart what they wrote. God gave us 66 books of the work of the apostles and the prophets. And if we build our lives on this, we're building our lives on a sure foundation. If we build our community on this, we are building on a sure foundation. The foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now let me pause here. The church, both individually and corporately, is built on that foundation. As great as the history of any given church may be, our history is not our foundation. Our foundation is the apostles and the prophets. Because those who've gone before us built on that foundation, or we wouldn't have what we got today. Now, those days when they built a building, cornerstones were critical. We don't, to nowadays we put cornerstones in buildings and it's more of a just nice facade to look at and mark. We got a cornerstone on the, right out here on the side of this building and it sort of marks when this building was constructed. In those days they took an entirely different view of cornerstones. First of all, cornerstones in those days were huge and they were massive. Today, they're just, you know, not much bigger than the regular bricks. But in those days, they were huge, massive. They were by far the largest stone in the building. Cornerstones were used in two basic ways. First of all, thing what you did with the cornerstone is that when they placed the cornerstone, the idea was that the entire weight of the building in one weight or another was going to rest on that cornerstone. That's the reason the cornerstone was so big in the ancient world and it had to be so strong because the entire weight of the building was going to be weighing on that stone. Secondly, when they laid it, they laid it with mathematical precision. And the reason it had to be laid with mathematical precision is that every other stone in that building cued off in where it was placed from the cornerstone. So when Paul says here that our cornerstone is Jesus, he's saying two very important things. He's saying, number one, everything rests on Jesus. Everything rests on Jesus. Our community rests on Jesus. The second thing that he is saying is that everything else not only rests on Jesus... But it has to be oriented to Him. He's the one that sets the standard. Everything plays off of Jesus. Everything is cued into Jesus. He is our example. He is the one that we are focused on. Everything is cued off, laid precisely oriented to Jesus. You can't talk about Jesus enough. We can't praise Him enough. We cannot focus on Him enough. We cannot learn enough from Him because Jesus is our cornerstone. And if we are building on anything other than Jesus as the cornerstone of who we are in community, we're going to be in trouble. If we build off the personality of any person, 
we're going to get in trouble. If we build off of any program, we're going to get in trouble. We have got to always check ourselves and make sure is the church, is our community built on the person of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Because anything else and anyone else will fade away, but he's always going to be there. Notice what he says in verse 21. He says the whole structure grows. It's the idea that what Jesus is building is alive and it's dynamic. Verse 21, he says it's being joined together. That's the idea that every piece is precisely cut so that it fits together in harmony. Every piece is precisely cut to fit together in harmony. That means Jesus, as he builds us, has to knock off the rough edges. And that's never much fun. When God says, I got to fit you in, but the only way I can fit you in is to start knocking off the rough edges so that you will fit in and be in harmony with the body of Christ. Now, that's not denying our individuality, but it is saying that he's working with us to fit us in to the body so that we mix in perfectly with the body. When you leave here today and you go out, look at the stone walls that are around this part of town. You will see shapes and you will see different sizes in those stones, but you will notice that all of those stones have been worked with so that they fit in to make those walls Strong and prevalent and there. And that's exactly what God does with us. He has to knock off the rough edges to make us fit into the body. Now, we Westerners really struggle with this because we are so ground in to being rugged individualists. Other parts and other cultures think have a far more group think than we do. And that's what he's talking about here. Thinking in terms of the body of Christ beyond just me. Why does he do all this? Verse 22, he says, so that we can be a dwelling place for God and so that the Spirit of God can dwell in us and work in us. The reason he does what he's described here, bringing us together in community, the reason we need to live in community with one another, the reason we got to live in community even when we're getting the rough edges knocked off of us is so that the Spirit of God can indwell us, the Spirit of God can use us, and we can reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what works against community? Selfishness and disconnection. It's all about me. God is all about me. No, it's not all about me, and God's not all about me. It's about us. It's about the community. It's about us coming together. And disconnection, not being able to relate effectively to one another. And we live in a world today that really sort of works against that because we're just tended to focus on our, like, on our busy schedules, on the electronics that are in front of us, whatever, instead of connecting to one another. Now, what works in our favor? How do we get this community? we got to find ways to come together. Let me list some ways that we come together as community, as a church. First of all, small groups. I can't say this strong enough to you. Find a small group and get involved with that small group. We have small groups here at 945 on Sunday morning. We have small groups on Wednesday night. You've heard about that in the service today. There are what I call service type of small groups, such as the choir 
That's a small group. It functions as a small group. It even brings out music. But find a small group wherever you can. Become part of that small group because that's a place where we connect to one another. We get to know each other. Now, let me give you one word, in, word of warning before you get in a small group. You're not going to like everybody in your small group. And you're going to get to know some of the folks in your small group, and you're going to think they're oddballs. And they're going to get to know you and think you're a little on the crazy side. That's just part of what it means to be together in community. Community is not about a bunch of perfect people coming together. It's about a bunch of imperfect people coming together. Also, the second area we can connect with one another is through mission involvement. Vacation Bible School. Our shrimp project, SWAG, which we'll do a mission outreach here later in the summer here in Rocky Mount. REACH, where we're going to Roanoke in a few weeks. The jail ministry, Good News Clubs, all those different places are where we serve together. But as we serve together, we are building community. We're getting to know each other. We have to rely on each other. Yes, sometimes we get on each other's nerves, but through all of that, we are building community together. And as we build that community together, we get to know each other. We build the bonds and connection with one another. And that's one of, the main, one of the reasons we do what we do in missions is, yes, to get the good news of Jesus out. But beyond that, and in addition to that, it is to build community together. And when you walk away from those experiences of serving together, you laugh together, you pray together, sometimes you cry together. But you build that community together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. In silent prayer right now, I want to ask you to talk to the Lord about several things. First of all, Lord, how can I join community? How can I be part of the body of Christ? Let's just pray and ask him that right now. Lord, how can I be part of the body of Christ? And Lord, how can I be used of you to develop community? God may show you a person to connect to. Lord, how can I be used of you? To develop community. Lord, show us how we can connect with one another. God, we ask that you give us the love and the patience that we need. But Lord, we also want to ask that you give the other folks love and patience to accept and deal with us. And Lord, as we connect with one another and connect with new folks as we become that building that you put the blocks together Jesus help us to become the community that you want us to be and thank you Jesus that you are our cornerstone that it all rests on you With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you're here today. And you feel like you're an alien and a stranger to the Lord and the things of the Lord. I want to invite you. Today. 
to no longer be on the outside looking in, but say, Jesus, I want you as my Savior. I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. And in just a moment as we sing a hymn of invitation, I want to invite you to, to walk the aisle and indicate that I want to follow Jesus. I don't want to be an alien and a stranger anymore to the things of the Lord. I want to be brought close to Him. I know He wants me in His family. I want to come to Him. And if you're here today and God's speaking to you and saying, I want you to be part of my community, then I invite you to come and join with us. Lord, help us to be empowered by your spirit, to be a part, Lord, of the community that you're building. And thank you, Lord, for making us to where we need each other. In Jesus' name, amen.